As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Eric Ten Hag has been able to strengthen his squad in three key positions this summer. But will the arrival of Mason Mount, Andre Onana and Rasmus Hoyland help them close the gap on their rivals? And have Manchester United learnt from their recent mistakes in the transfer market? I'm Ayo Akimwalere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Pasalic still. Hoyland! A star in the making, Rasmus Hoyland. And the substitute. It feels like Manchester United have finally got themselves a, a brand new striker. And my ears were pricked up by Rasmus Hoyland, especially when he scored that beautiful hat-trick against Finland in the Euro qualifiers. And he actually is a really interesting proposition for Manchester United. We've got Carl Anker in the studio. We've got Adam Crafton in the studio. And I'll come to you with this one, Carl. Can we say that Rasmus Hoyland, and I'm going to use a technical phrase here, is a baller? Maybe. He's definitely a roadrunner. Rapid. Really, really good uh, sprinting a straight line. I think Gasparini, he's met former manager at Atalanta, says he runs 100 metres in something like 11 seconds. And there's been a lot of YouTube, TikTok, shorts, clips of his... Uh, he's just got an outrageous run when he plays against Lazio in Atalanta's 2-0 victory over them. And he, he just outstrips three or four defenders. So that's that's the showbiz stuff about right, him. Right, right. He's really tall. He's six foot five, I think. Always well, build at six foot five, I should always say. He's really tall. He's really quick. That That's the headline stuff. That's the stuff that gets people kind of excited. The rest of it is kind of a mystery for a lot of Man United fans. So to a lot of... Premier League watches, right? He, he, he made 32 appearances in Serie A last season, only 20 starts. He scored nine goals, right? This is a lot of money for a 20-year-old who hasn't played too much football and hasn't played too many, scored too many goals yet. And I think a lot of United fans are going, tell me everything about this person. And did United spend so much money? Because his name sounds a bit like Erlen Haaland. <laughs> right. Adam. I'll let you say that one. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> you, you have that one. But like, I mean... I mean, many people probably listening to this thinking, Victor Ossiman, Harry Kane, most likely. What, what, why is Harry Kane not at Manchester United right now? Yeah, well, I, th- I think that's what Eric Ten Hag was thinking a few months ago, that I think his number one choice for a striker would, would definitely have been Harry Kane. And he wanted the club to try and make that happen. I, th- I think there's several realities that made that really difficult. One is that Tottenham, you know, really weren't keen to do business with a Premier League rival if they could avoid that. 
And it seems like Harry Kane himself was prepared to accept that if he was going to get a move somewhere else, as it looks like he might do with Bayern Munich. And then also there's a, there's likely to be a huge wage difference, right? I think sometimes we always talk about transfer fees and people say, well, you know, Man City paid 50, what, 51 million for Haaland last summer, Man United are paying more for Hoyland. Well, pretty sure the salaries, agent fees and all associated payments will be incredibly different. So as an overall package, this is definitely a cheaper option for Manchester United, even though that headline figure, when you hear it, as Carl, you know, details, 20 years old, nine goals in Serie A, very small data set at the highest level to go off. You know, we can talk about a hat-trick against Finland. I mean, okay, it's not Brazil, right? Know, right uh, yeah. So you're, you're sort of getting excited about this very small sample size. It doesn't mean he's a bad signing or a good signing. I think it just, it lends a kind of mystique to it that you don't often get with signings at the highest level anymore because mm. we we see so much in Champions League and, and Premier League. Whereas here, you know, only really people who have really, really watched Serie A over the past year and the Austrian league when he was at Sturm Graz will have any real grasp mm. of, of of what this guy's able to do. Well, this kind of money is the kind of money that Gareth Bale went to Real Madrid for, right? I mean, this is big money. Does this smell a little bit of the Anthony Martial deal for, for Manchester United? That's a good question. But before I could do, what do you mean by the Anthony Martial deal? You say Martial wasn't... The, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm not gonna go I'm, in there. I'm, I'm not gonna go there. I'm joking. I'm, I'm just joking. I'm just saying Martial does I don't feel Martial's produced. Yeah. Martial cost thirty-six million pound when he was nineteen. Different economic climate. That was thirty-six million pound when thirty-six million pound was a lot yeah. for a striker. Uh, and there are a number of clauses on that that apparently eventually could have taken that up until fifty seven million. You know, there's the off mentioned Ballon d'Or clause. So if Martial got the Ballon d'Or, they would have had to keep paying Monaco. Or if United won the Premier League, they would have had to pay Monaco extra. Those clauses didn't happen. With Hoyland, so £64 million plus £8 million in add-ons. And United, the way United have described things is if they have to pay that extra £8 million, they don't mind because that means United have won big things because of him. So you, we're in this point now where strikers aren't cheap. Harry Kane's going to cost... 100 million plus. Victor Osherman is being quoted with 120 million plus. Uh, we're seeing strikers, you know, Tammy Abraham had a pretty good season at Chelsea, then he moves to Roma, then he had a pretty good first season at Roma, won the Europa Conference League, and then Roma was saying he cost 60 million. So the, the amount of football you need to play to now cost 60 million as a goal scorer isn't that much. So... You can't afford Harry Kane. You've got 70 million money in your back pocket. Is Hoyland the guy? Maybe. This is re this is a big boom bust in the fact that he's only 20. He's not played too much football. And every single striker who, of sub 100 million now comes with a, I don't want to say glaring weakness, but comes with something. You look at, you look, you look at the game and go, he has to improve on this thing. And the big thing with Hoyland is, despite him being six foot five, he's not great in the air. And that's the first big, oh, worry. Well, I, well, I think. I mean, I think what you what you explain there is there is a scarcity value yeah. that that you get with strikers now. So anyone who shows a glimpse even of potential, their value rockets. And even when Martial came to United, Rooney was there mm -hmm. at the time. So you know he's not going to be carrying that burden single handedly. But it, it, essentially, what you say about sort of not being good in the air, I think this is one of the areas where Manchester United will look at it and think, well. If we take him into what Manchester United themselves would describe as best-in-class coaching, mm -hmm. performance, analysis, strength and conditioning, well, given 
his you know those raw physical characteristics in the same way as they would say you know they turned Cristiano Ronaldo and Wayne Rooney from players that didn't really head the ball into players that are able to to be really combative in the air they would see that as an area of projected growth they've now got to go and do it mm. and he's got to go and do it but I, th- I think those kind of things they will probably although we would see them instinctively early on in the season as weaknesses I think when you're putting together this package they will see opportunity yeah yeah I, you know I'm saying this and saying Hoyland's not great in the air I'm looking at this Manchester United team Marcus Rashford wants to cut inside from the left and shoot Anthony's incredibly left-footed and wants to cut inside and shoot. So he's not going to have to deal with too many inside crosses. <laughs> he's going to deal with loads more, you know, drilled passes along the ground. And one thing that did come up in these games for Atalanta is he's amazing getting near post. So, yeah, this is a lot of money for a, there's got to be a smart way to describe it, a fixer-upper. But at, at this point in time, if you don't have 100 plus million to spend on a strike and the ability to spend the better part of £300,000 a week week in wages, wages, You any striker comes with a degree of risk. Mm. And I think of the degree of risk strikers about, Hoyland is more inclined to, or it was better affiliated to to play the style of football Ten Hag once than say someone like Kolo Moani, who's at Antwerp Frankfurt, or someone like Marcus Thuram, who went on a free to Inter What do you think Eric Ten Hag wants from a striker? Uh, Because we've seen very different things over the past year you've had some you've had some Rashford down the middle you've had Martial for sort of half a game here and there yep. you've had Veghorst playing far too much football and not um, scoring any and not scoring <laughs> any and you've had a bit of Jaden Sancho as false nine in pre-season in an ideal world what's the prototype of a Ten Hag striker I, the ideal world you get Harry Kane the ideal striker who currently exists is you go out and buy Harry Kane. And I think, but I think if you went in, you know, if Ten Hag walked into a laboratory and punched in a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. or went football manager style, stats this one, stats this one, and stats this one, he probably gets a striker like Cavani from Cavani's Napoli peak. So one, one quote I go to a lot. So over the course of last season, there were a lot of times where he, Ten Hag was essentially asked, why, why do you still have faith in Anthony Martial? Uh, and in November time, he yeah, said... Definitely Anthony Martial can create something with his movements, uh, with his dealing with the ball, uh, with his smartness to arriving at the right moment and of course his finishing. It's a pretty good checklist. It's also a checklist of just like, he's good at all of the things you want a modern striker to do. But again, you want someone who can do all those things, that costs 100 million now, or, or 80 million. Uh, and we're looking at Hoyland... Hoyland can hold the ball, pretty okay. You know, I'm going to give that a three out of five. He's a he's a target. Yeah, he's six he's six foot five. He can collect it, and he's a better target than Vegos, who was not great at leaping and collecting. That's why Vegos had to play as the ten. Um, in terms of link up, Hoyland's link up play again, three out of five. Like good, very much can get better. Uh, he can run in behind, absolutely. He can do that because he's rapid. He can finish. Hoyland's left footed. I think that's really really interesting, and he's a good presser. That bit, I'm doing like a gesture here. Uh, I think because he is 20, he can be shown where and when to press. And because he is 20, he's less inclined to go, nah, I'm not going to press anymore. So Hoyland is on the way to ticking off all those boxes. And I think that's why this move can work. This is this is, this is is a big test for, for United fans and from United, the United manager. United fans are trusting Ten Hag, knows what he's on about. This is the second big time mm. United fans have gone, that's a lot of money on a player. Has Ten Hag got a plan? Now with Anthony, jury's out. Some people say Anthony didn't work out and some people are like, I-, I continue to have faith. 
Whereas with Hoyland, I, I think he will come good eventually in a way that that fee will not be seen as an issue. And, and for that reason, is should Manchester United fans just hold still for a bit? <laughs> because that, that that's a, that's the real one because you, you've, you've got a, a player that you probably won't see the potential of that player for another what two or three seasons right um, should we just calm down expectations for this season and what, well, what, what, what does that look like this season for Manchester United I think there's going to be a big gap between the expectation that's set by the fee in the same I think it's very similar to Anthony right mm. someone comes in for that amount of money and in that position at the, mo- the most scrutinised club in the country I know every fan base thinks that their club is the most scrutinised mm. club in the country, mm. but it's th- there isn't really anything like what Manchester United get in terms of Sky on a Sunday when you've got Roy Keane in the studio and Gary mm. Neville on commentary mm. and Rasmus Hoyland hasn't touched the ball mm-hmm. more than four times in the first half and United are 2-0 down at Arsenal at the end of August. You're going to have someone in the studio saying he looks like a little boy. That is going to be a big challenge for him and Ten Hag to cope with that pressure and that expectation that comes from being Manchester United's number nine. And that's why they wanted Harry Kane for that position, because it's someone who can walk in and cope with it. Now, in a rational, logical world, it's absolutely fine that it will take him a season to bed in, score maybe 15, 20 goals. That would be a really good season. But that's probably not enough to take Manchester United from third to really challenging for the title. And that makes it a difficult sort of, situation I think for for the player and also uh, for United moving forward but that's where Ten Hag I think has to be really strong Mm -hmm. in terms of the way he communicates with the fan base with the media to say actually you know we've taken this bet on this young player and it might take us a little bit longer to get there but then at the same time you've got players like Rafa Varane Casemiro Bruno Fernandes Luke Shaw who are all at an age where they probably want a finishing part to this project mm-hmm. rather than thinking you might be another two, two, three years away. So there's a few contradictions, I think, in the makeup of that United We've squad. We've already seen this at the end of the US tour where Ten Hag has essentially had words to the effect of, we're not in a title race, we're, we're, we're battling for the top four. So Ten Hag has already done his first sort of, I'm lowering expectations. But as Adam says, there is a difference between the expectations the Manchester United manager can can say and set and the expectations that football, the football industry won, right? The football industry wants Manchester United to be good. It is it is beneficial for everyone involved. Well, tell a lie. Well, depending, depending on the fact you are, it's, it's, football. It's, 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 it, the football the football industry finds a lot easier when Manchester United are either really, really good and you go, this is amazing. Oh, yeah. oh God, they're in the tight race or when they're really, really bad. Uh, but this halfway house, and when they're kind right, of okay, yeah, yeah. creates things where what you know what should be just a yes or no question goes well, kind of. That's the tricky bit. Can Ten Hag keep enough people on side for the well, kind uh, of? And you know what? He's now spent over three hundred million, three hundred thirty-four million pounds. You know, so and it's his choice, right? It's his choice over. He's asked for more as well. Yeah, he's asking for more, and also it's his choice to spend it. You know, over half of that almost on. Hoyland and Anthony. He could have got more experienced players in. So that's a decision. He he could very, you know, reasonably argue that it's the best interest of the club to invest in those young players for long term. But I think it is it will be fair to judge the manager on these signings over the next, you know, twelve to eighteen months. Just got it all wrong, but you could tell by Anana's reaction, he really wasn't happy. We saw you 
talking to Harry quite sternly? Yes, I try to I try to de demand him a lot because I know he's a good player and he's a good, great guy. I have a good relationship with him. So when I'm in the goal, I will demand to everyone. Is it fair to say that regardless of what plan Ten Hag had coming into this transfer window and obviously for next season, hands might have been forced slightly with the David De Gea issue, right? You're, would he have thought... Or feet may have been forced. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good, actually. I like that. I like yeah. that. You can stay. Uh, but real talk, like, probably didn't think he had to buy a goalkeeper for maybe another another season, maybe another year. Or was the David De Gea thing... The goalkeeping situation had to be resolved. Mm. And it had been known that the goalkeeping situation had to be resolved since Manchester United reached the Europa League final against Villarreal, right? When it looked as if Dean Henderson was pushing De Gea and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer tried moving on, you know, essentially gave David De Gea extended paternity leave and then gave Henderson a run and Henderson didn't quite do a run, didn't quite show enough. Show enough yeah. And then De Gea came back and it created a situation where I've described before is they were holding a bomb, but they didn't know how long the fuse was. It was going to go off and it had to be solved quickly and, and it got kicked down the road and kicked down the road and it looked as if De Gea was going to be the goalkeeper for a while. And I think the really big one was Lissandro Martinez's injury mm -hmm. against Sevilla. Because when he go, Martinez, very good defender, also fantastic with his feet, really helped with build-up play and covered up a lot of De Gea's weaknesses. And you saw in those final weeks, you know, the second leg against Sevilla where they have the mistake with, with Harry Maguire, the game against West Ham where, with De Gea, who's, who's often had a weakness with long shots, just flaps at something. Um, and, and I think it, it was that sequence of games where you, Ten Hag probably went, you know what, I, I can't keep kicking this down the road because Martinez might get injured again. There's no guarantee Martinez is going to come back the same standard. Let me just get a good goalkeeper now and, and stop this bomb from going off. You can say the bomb went off in the FA Cup final. That's up to you. Uh, uh, yeah, you, you said it, not me, man. Um, but it, yeah, it was a situation that always had to be resolved and the fact that Ten Hag resolved it this summer in this, I'd say, suboptimal manner. Uh, it, it, was messier, it was messier than anyone intended. Uh, yeah, I, th I think there's a couple of things that were at play. I think the first thing which surprised me a little bit and maybe it just speaks to the the ego of top-level coaches, is actually, uh, most people knew last summer that De Gea wasn't going to be able to make this work. Like, there's a reason why he's not been in the Spain squad mm -hmm. for the, last, for the last few years, because several coaches, not only head coaches, goalkeeping coaches, have kind of just come to the view, this isn't, this isn't going to be the right fit. And that's, it's just, it's just a different type of goalkeeper that six years ago was probably among the best in the world, now no longer is because the, of the way the game's changed. And it surprised me a bit that Ten Hag seemed to, you know, I remember at Brentford the game last year, Brentford beat United 4-0. The guy had a disaster of a, of a mm -hmm. game, but, you know, threw one in. There was another one where he passed it out. Ericsson got caught on the edge of the box. And after that game, Ten, Ten Hag was asked, you know, it looks like you're asking him to do things that this guy just can't do. A bit like when Petr Cech was at Arsenal, Arsenal previously. And Ten Hag was like, no, no, I've seen it in training. We can coach him. We can... And I think he really believed that. I think, well, the very next game was against Liverpool and he starts kicking it long. Yes, but I, th I think he believed it was a copable situation. Until the Brentford game? No, no. Even after the Brentford okay. game, I think he thought, yes, we'll change it for a few games, like to go back to basics a little bit, just to get some points on the board and to calm things down. But what you did see over the course of the season was he was in then being asked to do this build at play, to bring it back in, to bring it back in. And then, as you say, when the Martinez injury came around in February, March, then it kind of all just fell away again. And it seems to really just affect his confidence in general. Mm -hmm. And yes, it was a suboptimal situation in terms of the way the contract 
was offered and then seems to be reduced. And then it was kind of, in the end, you know, United's version is everyone just sort of decided it was best to part ways. And we'll see one day if David De Gea talks about that and agrees. But basically, Ten Hag changed his mind. Yeah. You know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, like if he's come to the view after eight or nine months of working with someone, I thought we could get get through this for one more year. Actually, from what I've seen over the last two months, we can't take this any further. Mm-hmm. We can't. And we have to change it if we're going to move forward. I think that's common sense, yeah. to be honest, yeah. and something that United, to be honest, haven't done enough of over the past 10, to, you know, 10 12 years. So, yeah, unfortunate, but that's life. Can I just say, though, in a good sense, and let's be positive... We don't I'm, do that on here. I know. Well, can we try? Can we try? Because, I, I mean, just because I, I like him as a keeper, Andre Onana has already shown you, what you feel is Tan Hag ball, or at least approaching what feels like Tan Hag ball. Uh, but also, leadership qualities mm-hmm. from the back. Everyone's seen the shouting of Harry Maguire. I'm sure many Manchester United fans punched the, punched the air when that happened. But you're, you're seeing someone, at least, that seems to be confident in their position and could potentially give some calmness to that realignment at Manchester United. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the two summers now of Ten Hag spending, United have gone from a starting eleven that didn't have too many players that you could say, oh yeah, you can go into a world eleven to, I think, you know, Andre Onana, if you put him in a world eleven, people go, okay. They wouldn't get angry. They'd say, <laughs> I'm not saying he's the best goalkeeper in the world. I'm saying if, if you had a world eleven squad and Onana's there, you wouldn't go, what's he doing there? Exactly. Uh, right. I, I think... Uh, Lissandro Martinez might have that similar thing of wouldn't look out of place you might not be a starter but there Casemiro and then I'm not going to mention I'm not going to say Bruno Fernandes because I know people yell at me if I say Bruno Fernandes but the spine of the team is getting better and also what's really important is the spine of the team is complementing each other a lot more right under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer you had a David De Gea who wanted to kick long playing in front of a you know, playing, you know, and in front of them was Harry Maguire and, and Victor Lindelof, who were two players that were supposed to be playing in a high line but weren't very quick. And then you had no real defensive midfielder because you had Fred and Scott McTominay. And then in front of them, you had Bruno Fernandes who wanted to play counter-attacking football. So, like, it was just, this guy wants to play counter-attack football. This guy's badly suited to counter-attacking football. This guy really wants to play counter-attacking football. And this striker wants to play counter-attacking football. Anyway, it didn't make sense. Whereas now it's Onana wants to build up from the back. Lissandra uh, Martinez can build up from the back ahead of that. Casemiro, okay, can be pressured, slight problem, but he he's very good on transitions, defending against transitions and attacking transitions. Ahead of that, Bruno Fernandes, very good on attacking transitions. Ahead of that, Rasmus Hoyden, very good at attacking transitions. The team finally is coherent in a way that it hasn't been since Van Hal, maybe? Yeah. Maybe <laughs> longer? That's <laughs> generous on that goal. But I know what you mean. There's a yeah. consistency There's of idea. a consistency idea. Yeah. and an idea and how this team wants to play that hasn't often been possible. And some of that, you know, I, I'm not saying the, the previous managers were, were outright bad or making mistakes, but, you know, some of those managers had their hands tied. And you're going, well, okay, I'll, I'll try and make it best with this player. Whereas Sen Hag has gone, no, this is the plan. We're going to do it here. And slowly, they're, they're getting to, like you say, Ten Hag ball. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside 
to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwale. Okay, let's talk about another signing. Just taking the number seven shirt, Mason Mount. Is this the end to... The whole McFred saga? Yeah, I mean, definitely it looks like United would like to sell at least one of McTominay or Fred. I think Fred's the one that they've decided is is the one that they, they would rather let go, which has surprised me a little bit, to be honest, in that there was a period of last season where he was playing alongside Casemiro and Fernandez, where actually he seemed to provide, you know, good balance and energy in that position and... Yeah, so so that surprised me. He seems to really fall out of favour towards the end of the season. He is a bit older. Um, I think because of the energy he brings, people think he's younger than he is mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, and Mason Mount is a very different player to to Fred. You know, if that's the replacement, I think we we still think Manchester United might do one more midfielder this summer if the kind of, if they're able to get some players out and there's a few funds left over, which would make some sense. Um, Mason Mount, I find a really interesting signing in that I think for most of last season, people thought like Liverpool or Arsenal might be a more likely destination. I, I think there was periods for him and, at Chelsea where he looked absolutely fantastic. There was also periods where he seemed to find it really difficult as well. But a lot of people in Chelsea team last season found it really difficult. So how do you judge that? I think what we would say is pretty much every manager that he's worked for speaks very well of him mm. and often I, I think that's in, in some ways more important than what someone like me m- maybe feels because if you have that consistency coming from Frank Lampard um, Frank Lampard Thomas Tuchel Gareth Southgate Graham Potter there's Frank always Lampard one, again Frank Lampard again <laughs> yeah there's always one there's always one I always forget um, yeah they all speak massively high of him they all play somewhat different styles Fairly well known that Pochettino was quite annoyed at the fact that Mason Mount's gone to Manchester United because Mason Mount is a very Pochettino-friendly midfielder. I've not seen him as an eight. Yes, that, this that's, is... the, that's the thing that if if the idea is you have Casemiro at the base, and this is a podcast, so I'm using my fingers to, to draw <laughs> this on the table. Um, Casemiro on the base, and then you've got Fernandez and Mount. I've not seen Mount as that kind. Of, you'll have to have a bit more bite and yes tenacity for yes. that position and a bit more defensive responsibility than you would have if he was coming in from a wide position or playing as a number 10, as I think I've seen more of him at Chelsea or even because of the way Chelsea played with three at the back at times, it, it, it made the shape of the team different. So I'm really interested to see what Ten Hag does with him in, in that respect and how he adapts that. I think pre-season has been pretty 
modest for him so far, but it has for most of the players. I mean, Ten Hag started it by saying we don't do preseason friendlies, and now, now they've lost three in a row. So, <laughs> so you know, it's it's I'm, one of, it's I'm one of those my ways. My mouth shut for Yeah, <laughs> that, that stuff doesn't really really matter, but. With all of these players coming in, because of the starts the season United have, Tottenham away, Arsenal away in the first month of the season, they have to, they do have to get going. You know, they can't have what they did last season, where you know you're talking about sort of October, November by the time they started to look really competent. It can't be that again. Alanga's already gone, or feels like he's gone to Nottingham Forest anyway. Yeah, done, done. It's done deal. Is there a priority shift list at this point, and what does that look like? I am loathe to use the word Deadwood. I do use but for sur- a Manchester United squad, fringe right? players or yeah. players with surplus financial liabilities. That well, bit, I mean, that's even deeper. That's a bit deeper. Fringe players or players who are surplus to requirements. Yeah. So, so Anti Lang has gone fifteen million to Nottingham Forest. Alex Talis has gone to Al Nasir in Saudi Arabia for four million, which felt a very low figure considering some of the fees for players going to Saudi Arabia. But okay, um, they've I- seen him play. <laughs> <laughs> And what, what is he picking up weekly? He might be on a decent wage oh, yeah. packet. Who knows? Uh, so I, so I, I went to Norway for United's first preseason game of, of this tour. They played Leeds. And this was before the international the players were on international duty came back. And you're watching that 11. And okay, first glimpse at Mason Mount. That was quite fun. You're also looking at a player. So there's a player like Alvaro Fernandez. He is a left-back graduate for the academy. Went on loan to Preston North End. Did very well. Six foot one. Got a pretty good passing range. Inverts as well. He's in an interesting position because Luke Shaw signed a long-term contract at Manchester United. So he's going to be the starting left-back for the next four years, let's say. Taro Malassia seems to be the deputy there. There's also Brandon Williams and now there's Fernandez. So you've got four left-backs. The accountants and the FFP people will say, you've got to sell one of them. So if you've got Shaw, who's going to be your long-term one. That means one of one of these three he has to be happy playing domestic games as his deputy. You've, they signed Malassia last season, so he's probably you'd, number you'd two. He's number two, yeah. So then you've got Fernandez, your academy graduate, and you've got Brandon Williams, who played, okay, played a number of games in 1920 when Luke Shaw was injured, but didn't really pull up any trees when he was on loan at Norwich and hasn't really looked like he's going to develop and become a Manchester United starting player. So then you go, which of those two players do you sell? That, that's from like a raw accounting sense. And there, there are a number of players like this where you go, with, so with Scott McTominay and Fred, you've now got Mason Mount, you've got Christian Eriksen, you've got Casemiro. One of these players can go. And I think Fred is going because, I mean, again, from the accounting sense or whatever, you, you tend to, from a squad boost, you tend to keep the younger player. Uh, Ten Hag talks a lot about Scott McTominay's height, which, okay, fine. That's important for the depending set pieces. So now I, Fred I, can I go. I think going back to, if you remember the start of last season before Casemiro got in the team, mm-hmm. Ten Hag seemed to see Cas- uh, Scott McTominay as a six. Which I hate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but he does. But he does. So I think he's taken the view, we need a backup to Casemiro, yes. that's McTominay, and therefore Fred is the expendable one. And if you look at the advanced areas now, you've got, the Jaden Sancho situation and how many people, you know, he's third choice on the, le- on the left, he's second choice on the right-hand side. He's a backup to Bruno Fernandes as the number 10 and now he's got this false nine thing. This means Donny van der Beek. I think I think Donny will go. Donny to, van der Beek is yeah. surplus to retirements and has, yeah. will be moved on. Surplus to requirements or retirements. <laughs> <laughs> it's too early, man. Come on. No, so, so I think you'll have Donny van der Beek go. I'm interested to see what happens with Amad Diallo and Facundo yeah. Palestri. I think... Some of this, you know, those forward positions, 
will be tied to can Manchester United shift Anthony Martial out of the club, which I think they'd be open to doing if they got an offer. Um, then it also brings in a whole different discussion around what they're going to do with Mason Greenwood, which we'll know by, this club seems to be saying, we'll know by next Monday, uh, yeah, a week so on sure. Monday, yeah, yeah. right? So once you know what the club's decided to do with that, there's then an impact, I think, on several of these attacking players. Um, you know, if you just treat that as a purely footballing moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think beyond that, I wouldn't expect them to do too much else other than probably attempting to get West Ham to offer a higher fee for Harry Maguire. They've turned down around 20 million. I think they'd probably take 30, 35 if they can get that. And it looks like Johnny Evans will come in. I think it's, it says a lot for where Maguire's standing is. If Johnny ten, Evans is that, the one. That, that Ten Hag basically, he wants a fifth choice centre-back. Mm. Someone to be there just in case and to play a few League Cup games. And that's probably going to be Johnny Evans. So, yeah, I'd be amazed if Harry Maguire is still there at the end of the, at the end of the summer. I think the challenge for Man United is they need to get 30, 35 million on their accounts mm. rather than here's a loan where we also help out with the wages, which has been the story far too often over the years. Look, we've always made it through the entire podcast without actually talking about what on earth is going on with the sale of Manchester United. Who on earth is buying Manchester United at this point? Do we even know? What sale? <laughs> right? I, I mean, the Glazers are just sitting on a massive egg, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think people forget that Manchester United have never come out and said the club will be sold. And that feels like gaslighting to Manchester United fans uh, when, when you say that. Manchester United, Manchester United exploring a number of strategic investments up to and including a sale. Strate- strategic uh, alternatives. There it I is. Think, right? Strategic alternatives up to and including a sale and everyone honed in on the word yeah. sale. So, so there was never a promise that a sale would be done. Manchester United have never publicised the bidders. The bidders have publicised themselves um, in some ways, you know, very effectively when you talk about the Qatari bid by Sheikh Jassim or the Ineos bid by Jim Ratcliffe, those are the only ones we're aware of in terms of for a, for, for a, a buyout of control of the club. Mm-hmm. Um, we know there's also been talks with minority investors in terms of can the Glazers get someone, get you know one of these private equity firms to essentially come in, buy a stake in the club and also pay for refurbishment of the ground and all of that kind of thing. Now, nothing is imminent. The bidders haven't heard anything for quite a few weeks now, which to me, and this is, you know, this obviously any discussions around this from basically most people you, you'll hear it from are speculative because the only people who know really what's going on are the Glazers. And when it comes to their own investments and, and finances, they are incredibly um, discreet about that. And, but I think what it does say is that the offer they've had probably isn't high enough. For, that, for them to sell the club, for all the siblings to agree on it and to sell the club. Um, it is all a bit succession, I think, in terms of the relationship <laughs> between, you know, the relationship between these siblings, how much they talk to each other, how much they agree on what the figure would be for them to check out. We've seen, you know, Ineos, the Jim Ratcliffe bid, try and come up with some sort of version that might keep a couple of the siblings in in some way but that's also been facing legal challenges from other shareholders. So it's a really messy situation. I think from a Manchester United fans perspective, there'll be some fans who think the takeover is the biggest priority, right? Whatever else is going on at the club, the number one thing is to change the ownership, right? That's 
that's the number one priority. I think other people will take a sort of a more kind of, I don't know, set mixed mixed view on it, a centrist view on it of like, okay, well, this takeover might still happen over the next six months to a year. But for now, you've got quite a good manager being backed by what looks like a reasonably stable football operation, right? In terms of the chief executive, Richard Arnold, looks a lot more sensible than Ed Woodward had been in terms of how that side of the club's been managed, the transfers with John Murtagh. Ten Hag seems to be getting a lot of what he wants, not everything. He's not got Harry Kane, but there seems to be a, a positive direction for the team on the pitch. Um, I think there's very fair questions to be asked about how they you know, allowed very, very high-profile uh, women's team players to leave earlier this summer and didn't get those tied down. So to answer your question, there's no real progress, right? In terms of a sale of the club, it's as we were, right? We know who the bidding parties are. They've not walked away, despite however many briefings you read about take it or leave it final offer. Well, it's not being taken. It's not being left, right? Yep. And it's not going to be because the two parties really want to buy the club. Um, so now it's a case of do, do they try and get something done once the season starts, once the transfer window's out of the way, or do they actually wait a year where you know you might have Manchester United further along with this project with Ten Hag? You might have another year in the Champions League. Champions League format's going to change. It's going to become more lucrative again, 2024. And you also then have the specs of the Club World Cup, which I think is going to be this hugely lucrative tournament run by FIFA in 2025. But any bidder already knows about that, right? Like They already know about that. And I think certainly the Qatari bid probably want both of them, to be honest, both the bids want Man United for other reasons than the revenue generation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's it's a baffling one. At some point, you know, we've said this for almost 20 years now, at some point you would think the Glazers might have to communicate and explain what the hell is going on because, you know, I think, I think it is pretty, I think it's pretty unfair process in terms of the way that it's been led on, both actually to the bidders and also... Uh, to supporters, but we're, we're no closer, really. Coming into this season now, what does success look like for Manchester United? Carabao Cup, obviously. FA Cup loss, for sure. In the Champions League. I mean, it's in a decent space coming into this. It's in a decent space, but we're talking about a Premier League now where you have to sprint to stay in the same position. You know, Eric Ten Hag, towards the end of last season has spoken about how it's not even a top six now he said he includes Brighton Aston Villa Newcastle he included Brentford in there as teams that can really really hurt you if you don't pay attention you, you would do after what happened in that, <laughs> yeah. in that game trust me <laughs> um, and, and again on this preseason tour he says you know, I, don't, I don't think anyone in the Premier League can do that that being challenged Manchester City and being that title race but the, he said the focus is, is to finish in those top four positions if, and we were looking at a point in time where you know, Arsenal have got better Liverpool have seemed to have retooled that midfield at a frightening speed. You know, if you're a Manchester United fan and you spent several years with Fred and Scott McTominay going, oh, it's really hard to get midfielders and Liverpool's gone, no, it doesn't. It takes one summer. <laughs> that might be a bit annoying. <laughs> so, you know, Liverpool have retooled. Newcastle seem to be moving from having a very good first team to now having a squad. But I think, don't you think United just have to look at it I sound like Ten Hag here, but they just have to look at themselves, right? Mm -hmm. They have to think last season was third place finish and a, and a Carabao Cup. So what's progress? It's got to be better than that, right? So they should be aiming, it was, I think it was 14 points behind City in, in the end. Can you half that? I think halving that, that gap would mean that you are relevant in a title race for the first time 
since Ferguson left, mm -hmm. essentially. They've not been relevant in a title race. Um, and I think they've also got to make an impact in the Champions League, which they've not, you know. They've not reached the quarterfinals of the Champions League since 2014. When no, no. The, the last Champions League quarterfinal was against Barcelona on the interim Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah, sorry. So, so when so they they need to reach the Champions League quarterfinals, right? To be in the Champions League in April and to be in a title race in April is 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 good. I mean, their points total last season was in the seventies. If that points total now can be in the eighties, good. The difficulty is obviously Manchester City are genuinely on seem like they're on pace with points totals in the nineties now. So, so that's the sort of gap. I think that that's progress. Higher points total than before. You, know, you can finish third in the Premier League. But then have a higher points than we had last season. That would be progress. You got to avoid those six three seven nil horrible records away from home against top teams. Avoiding that sort of stuff. And then if you can, you know, it's not just getting a thirty goal a season, thirty goals in a season from Marcus Rashford, but also getting more goals out of Bruno Fernandez, more goals out of Rasmus Hoyland, more goals out of Anthony. That's the progress. Yeah, yeah, and. Yeah, I have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, sounds like a good time to stop. Do you know what? I'm just really glad we had that conversation because you know there'll be some fans out there going, oh, City, we need to beat City. And I'm like, look, let's be pragmatic. Progress, cup done. Any team, many, many teams will take a Carabao Cup last season. If Man United can get themselves to the place where, and I've said this for about five years, thinking Pep will leave at some point. Mm -hmm. But if you get to the, yourself... We're all to, waiting. Yeah, <laughs> if you get yourself to the point where you are the best placed team to go one step further just as Pep's leaving Man City, mm -hmm. then you're in a really strong position. And I, I, I believe Ten Hag's got two more years on his current contract now. Yeah, I mean, you would, he's, you would he's think got, he would last he's got, longer He's got Pep, two more years yeah. in his current contract and I've you know, I'm, I, I'm got, not got it on my screen right now, but I'm going to just pretend he's got an option for a further year because that's what Manchester United do in all their contracts. Yeah. So th the goal should be, and, and this is not my thought, this is a thought from Grace Robinson, a fantastic football journalist, but everything Manchester United do should be in the final year of Eric Ten Hag's contract. United should be able to mount a title challenge. And it should be just everything going to this final point of, can this player help you win the title in 2026? And if the answer's no, out you go. Fair enough. Well, I tell you what, United fans, you've heard it here. Another two years, just hold tight. <laughs> Thanks very much, Adam. Carl, as always, appreciate you both being here. Remember, you can also read more from these two and keep right up to date with all this summer's transfer window activity on The Athletic. Sign up today for just $1.99 a month for an entire year at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thank you so much for listening. The Athletic. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beale. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great Athletic Football Podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places and head to theathletic.com slash footballpod for the very latest subscription offers. The Athletic Football Podcast is an Athletic Media Company production.